Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. So look, this must be stronger than that. The, the first week of, of this series... We talked uh, about what can be must be stronger than what has been. This speaks to the vision of the church, right? Some of you have been extremely wounded by the church, hurt by the church, and what has happened is your vision for what the church can be is being held back by what has been. And here's the thing. The church has a shattered past. church has done some stupid things. It's killed people in the name of Christ. It's been complicit in racism in the past. The church has done some stupid, stupid stuff. But look, the church can't deny its past, but we can't let it define our future either. Okay? We have to say, what was the purpose of the church? And let's go for that, right? The second week was this. Purpose must be stronger than preference, right? People come in with their own agendas in church thinking the church should be this, the church should be that. But look, we've got to say, what does the Bible say in Scripture about what the church should be, the purpose of it? And let's strive to be that instead of playing to what each person's preferences are, right? Uh, just cause, I mean, here's the thing. If we had our preference, it'd be our four and no more. M- most of us, right? It would kind of be like, okay, we would like a smaller church, but look, the church is called to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to reach people. So if the church is going to win, purpose must be stronger than preference. And last week, we talked about how honor must be stronger than contempt. The bottom line is this. At this church, we're going to honor everyone because everyone's made in the image of God. But honor, doesn't mean, uh, honor does not mean agreement. Honor simply means this. I see the image of God in you, and I'm going to honor that. And unfortunately, the church is viewed to those outside of it as being bigots, as being judgmental, as being fill in the blank. And if we're going to show the world who God is and what God's like, the church has got to to say we're going to honor people. We're going to treat them. This speaks to how we view, honor, and treat people. If you missed any of these sermons, you can check out SoundCloud or you can check out iTunes as well and check out the podcast there. Today, though, we are going to dive into this this topic of contentment must be stronger than greed. Contentment must be stronger than greed. Isn't like there's no one's more favorite subject than church and money. That's a lie, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It's, it's like there's no one's more favorite topic that the people love to talk about in church than money, right? And honestly, if, if you think about how the world views the church and money, it could probably go along the same path as what you saw earlier. A tele-evangelist asks his people for $54 million dollars for a private jet, so he doesn't have to get on regular airlines. It's a lot of money. And, um, and they ask, and they'll say, if you give this, God will bless you. You even heard somebody say, you know, you need to sow a $1,000 seed so you can, 
get, you know, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I, but I remember a few months back watching this one tele-evangelist guy, and, and he's saying, I'm not trying to bash them, but what I am saying is this is how we're viewed in the world, okay? Whether right or wrong, you've got friends and family. When they think about the church, they just think about those kinds of people that are just like, give me money, give me money, give me money, and then God will bless you, okay? I'm just being honest, right? So I saw this one guy say, if you've got credit card debt, you need to put, you need to give $1,000 on that credit card as a sign of faith to God that you are serious about getting that credit card debt paid off. I'm just sitting there like, I'm getting clumped in with that guy. The church, those that profess the name of Christ are getting clumped in with that guy. I totally get why people are skeptical of the church and money. It seems like almost every week there's some sort of scandal coming out of financial mismanagement, of pastors and leaders taking advantage of their God-given authority to basically take advantage of people. You've got pastors saying, if you're, if you're materially rich, that God is blessing you. And if you just give more, God is like this stock market where you pour into the stock market and then it will give you a return. But you've got some pastors also saying that the poorer you are, the better you are. So which one is it? Prosperity theology? Where the more you get, the more you're blessed? Or is it the poorer you are and the more blessed you are? What is it? They're both using this book to back up what they say. And stats show people are skeptical of giving, of, 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 you know, of giving and investing money in the church. And I totally get it. Stats say that typically church, church folk, people that, that call a church home, give 2% of their income to support the local church. I get it. Because I've seen financial mismanagement. I've been in churches where there has been financial mismanagement. And trust takes years to build and seconds to kill. Y'all know that. Especially when it comes to your money. <laughs> I get it. Um, but also, apart from church, culture tells us, right? So you've kind of got the church culture, and then you've got culture that, that is shouting at you, hey, the more you get, the happier you'll be. Culture is shouting at you, add a few more zeros to that bank account, get one more vacation, get a nicer car, a nicer house, get these things, and then you'll be happy. And that's the, way marketing tell, that, that's the way marketing shoots at you. It's always telling you what you have isn't good enough. This iPhone 8 you have? Yep. Does your phone pour coffee out yet? There's a Keurig app. You press the app, coffee comes out of your phone, right? Like, they are going to get to the point where they are going to make you feel like what you have is not good enough. That's what marketing is. It's shouting at you, you need more, you need better. No, if, I mean, it's the craziest stuff that you see that try to get you to think, if you get this product, you get this thing, then you'll be happy. 
I mean, I remember seeing this one thing. There was this old dude playing with his kids. And I mean, and it was like, like looking at, like this commercial was like, yo, this is going to change someone's life. It was, a, it was a commercial for adult diapers. <laughs> it's like, get this adult diaper and your world will be changed. Maybe for some of y'all. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but y'all, have y'all seen this isn't working? We are the most materially blessed nation in the known world. But look at our suicide rate. Look at our rates of depression. Look at our rates of anxiety. If the truth was get more than you're happier, I think we're seeing it's a lie. The average home, the average household that has a credit card, the average debt nationally is $16,000. So you've got families and homes spending money they don't have to get a happiness that they think will fulfill them. But what we're finding and seeing is that many times the culture lies to us because it says, get this, then you'll be happy. So you've got a church that is saying the richer you are, the more spiritual you are, or the poorer you are, the more spiritual you are. And then you've got a culture telling you, get more, you'll be happy. It's not working, y'all. On both sides. So we've got to ask, what, what is the answer? I believe this, that what we see in Scripture is not a poverty theology, where you see the poorer you are, the more spiritual you are, or the more you have, the more spiritual you are. Or if you've got a lot, it means you're, it's like you can be a, a poor, righteous person. And you can be a rich, righteous person. You can be a poor, unrighteous person. You can be a rich, unrighteous person. It doesn't matter what, what you've got. What I see in scripture, we don't need a poverty theology. We don't need a prosperity theology. What I see is we need a contentment theology. And there's a big difference. And if the church is going to gain its power and strength back in this culture where people are going to stop being skeptical and cynical of the church and its people. This is for us. Here's the thing. These sermons are for us corporately, but also individually, right? So these things have to be applied. These principles here that I've said in this whole series, they have to be applied to us corporately as a church body, meaning the church, Lifehouse Church, being part of the big church, but also it needs to be applied to us individually, of saying, how am I doing this not to just live this kind of lifestyle within the context of Lifehouse, but also within the individual nature of my relationship with Christ. And I believe if the church is going to gain its trust back, if the church is going to gain its influence back, if the church is going to be a blessing to the world, and, it's, and, and we show that by what we do with our stuff, contentment has got to be stronger than greed. Contentment must be stronger than greed. Jesus wasn't stupid. Jesus knew the biggest hindrance and the biggest opponent to your devotion to God would be your money and your stuff. He didn't mince words. He said the only thing, he said, you will either serve God or money. No other thing did he say that. He didn't say you'll serve God or sex. He didn't say you'll serve God or power. He said you will either serve God or money. And I would even bet today 90% of your stresses in that you are dealing with thinking about right now, where I said, what are you stressed about right now? 90% of it would go towards your bank account 
or the stuff you have or you thinking about the stuff that you don't have. That keeps you from putting in place disciplines to build your spiritual life. That keeps you from, honestly, even coming to this place every Sunday. Like the biggest, one of the biggest hindrances in your life and what keeps you up worried at night is you thinking about what you have or what you don't have. Or you thinking about money. Jesus wasn't dumb. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, if you could put that up for me, or, or excuse me, 6, 25, he said, therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food in the body, more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And I tell you that not even in Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run, run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow. We'll worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't we want to live that? That is the word of God. Check it out, though. Mark 4, 18 through 19. This is said in the context of a parable where Jesus is speaking about how, kind of talking about the parable of seeds and basically how the seed is the word of God that gets into our hearts. And kind of our heart is kind of like a garden where when there are seeds planted, we, we've got to cultivate it, right? Like a seed left to its own will, will, will die. But if it's cultivated, it'll actually grow. And this is Jesus speaking about whenever the word of God, like God, like whenever God is sown into your life, it says it's still others, like seed sown among thorns. Here's the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus says one of the greatest enemies to the word of God from God flourishing in your life is the deceitfulness of riches and the worries of this life. Do you feel this tension, though? You're like, yeah, but I got to live. I got to eat. Got to have something nice to wear. Got to have a car to drive. Got to have a home. Right? So we don't want poverty. We don't want prosperity. We need contentment theology. But Jesus says, ultimately, your focus, your struggle, which I would say 90 to 95, I'd say 100% of us, our worries are tied to what we have, what we don't have, or money. The answer is contentment. Paul, he talked about this in a couple of different places, and this is where we're going to actually land today. In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, 11 through 13, Paul Paul was such an interesting character because Paul, it's what he says here. He, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. So, so basically, Paul, he's talking with the church in Philippi. And, and this church, he's asking the church to support him because Paul was this kind of, kind of an itinerant minister. And he, the way he survived is his churches would support him. And he was asking this church for, he was asking this church for support. But then Paul says this here, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned, everyone say learned, learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I don't know, I believe it's so true, contentment isn't going to get to your head by osmosis. Contentment isn't going to be a part of your life by a hope or a dream. 
Contentment is going to be something in your life that is going to have to be learned, that you're going to have to be intentional for. Because like I said, we've got the cultural tsunami of get more, be happier, do more, get this, get that. That is the tsunami that you hear and feel every day. And it's almost like it can just literally overtake you where you find yourself trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to keep up with all these people that you see buying stuff you can't afford to impress people you don't even like. And you're just like, why, do, why am I buying this on my credit card? Why am I buying clothes? Like I got a closet full that are still got tags on them. Why in the heck am I buying more clothes? So we got a culture tsunami that's just going over us. And I believe if we're going to learn this concept of being content, it's something that's going to have to be learned. But Paul says, look, I know what it is. I'm not saying this because I'm for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So he's saying, yo, I've been poor. I've done that poverty theology thing. I've done the prosperity. I know what it is to have a whole lot. I know what it is to have a Benz, and I know what it is to have a bike. That's what he's saying, right? He knows a bike and a Benz. He, he knows it. He says, I know what it is to do this, but he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether eating filet mignon or whether eating rice and beans, which honestly, I might even have rice and beans over filet mignon, to be honest with you. You know what I'm saying? Yes, Lord. I think I'm going to be going to Plaza Azteca when this is done. <laughs> whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, right? So he says, let me tell you the secret that I have learned to be, to, to be content, not to be high when I've got a whole lot or not to be low whenever I don't have a whole lot. Let me tell you what the secret is to being content. He says, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. This is everyone's favorite verse, isn't it? This is what we see at, at football games. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me? It's on greeting cards. It's on, you know, it's on plaques. You put it up in your office. It looks and sounds good. And kind of this verse for us many times is kind of more of this like cool motivational scripture that when we don't feel like it, we can do all things through. And it kind of comes this chant. We can do all things through Christ. We can do all things through Christ. There are some things you can't do in Christ. Y'all like, really? Yes. I'll never be an NFL quarterback. I'm 5'10", 170. How about actually 190? Oh, Lord, I need to lose some weight. All right, 5'10", 190. It doesn't matter how many times I say I can do all things to Christ, I can do all things to Christ. I'll never be an NFL quarterback. We, we got the peanut crowd down here. They were like, possibly for the Jaguars. You're a Dolphins fan. Y'all don't even have a quarterback right now. Your quarterback is like coming up in the draft. You... You gave your quarterback for like a cheeseburger to the Titans. Just saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. See, look, we're trash talking in church. Lord, I need to forgive me. Lord, I just want to pause and just, Lord, forgive me. I apologize. Talking about football. Anyway, what was I saying? Thank you, John. Anyway, I know what it is to have a lot. I know what it is to have nothing. But let me tell you the secret of being content. You know what he says is the secret of being content? I've got Jesus. And Jesus will give me the strength to handle riches or poverty, a lot or a little, balling or broke. He will give me the strength. Because what I think Paul saw here is he realized where his true poverty lied was in his spirit and not in his flesh. Okay? 
Because he knew where he was the most broke was in his spirit. He knew that the biggest need he had for him wasn't the need of more stuff. It was the need of a savior to save him from himself and from the pits of hell. And here's the thing. Contentment begins with Jesus. It begins there. Why? Because when you see your true spiritual nature and your true spiritual fate of you are far from God because of, this is a churchy word, but because of your sins basically mean you want to do your thing instead of doing God's thing. When you see how far you are from God, when God fills that gap with Jesus, what that does is you really see if I got Jesus, I got the deep need of my soul satisfied. Because physical stuff, temporary stuff, stuff that will pass away will not fill that eternal void you feel in your soul. Only Jesus will fill that. And I think Paul here is saying, look, I've learned to be content whether I got a lot or whether I don't. Let me tell you what the secret is. I got Jesus. And I believe until you get to that point where you can confidently say, I've got Jesus. And some are like, yeah, well, Jesus, I can't even see him. What, what does that do? You know, it's like, I can't even, even see him. I get that. But at the same time, the Jesus came and lived. He had people attest to actually seeing him. The disciples, they wrote down books and eyewitness testimony of what Jesus did, said, and lived. And you can see from that point on, the world had been changed by the Savior Jesus. And so we get the opportunity in this time period, 2,000 years later, we were in the same state as the world that Jesus came into. They were far from God because of our sins. Y'all, rebellion and pride is the sin of all sins. Because it's basically saying, I'm going to do things my way instead of doing things God's way. And whenever we put our faith and trust in Christ, what we're doing is, is we're surrendering ourselves and saying, God, I take on, like, I need you to take, to take my place and pay the price for my sin. And that's what Jesus ultimately came to do is to pay the price for your sin because you were separated from God. But now because of his sacrifice, you put your faith and trust in him. What Jesus did is now credited to your account. And so when God sees you, he just doesn't see you and all your messed up stuff. He sees Jesus' good work on the cross in your place and for your sins. So y'all look, I believe contentment, if we're ever going to get to the point where we open our hearts up and say, okay, look, my stuff is not my own. You know what? We can be free from the, the tyranny of culture's tsunami. We can be free from the church's false lies of prosperity or poverty if we put our trust and faith and find our true treasure in Jesus. Because he ultimately fulfills the deep need you have in your soul, which is for a savior. Paul, he continues on in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, this is a book where, um, you know, Paul, Paul, he had disciples where, he had young bucks that wanted to do what Paul was, was doing. So Paul, he, he, he actually identified and started training people under him. And one of those people was Timothy. And what Paul would do is write them letters and be like, Timothy, I need to encourage you. I need to tell you a few things about what it means to be a pastor. And Timothy received this one letter from Paul. And, and this is what Paul said. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Just get this. He said, for we brought nothing into this world and we could take nothing out of it. You can't put a U-Haul on the back of a hearse. But if we have food and clothing, so, he, so here he defines what contentment is. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. 
those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many, many griefs. Now, I know what you're saying. You're like, John, I'm not rich, right? Everyone else is rich, right, but us. Why? Because there's someone else that always has more than us. So we class ourselves as not being rich, and what we do is we don't see that our world isn't the world. You know, 8% of the whole world owns a car. Do you know that less than 1% of people worldwide live on $42,000 or more per year? We, those are just a couple of stats. We've got to know when the Bible was talking about rich people, I mean, how much food do we throw away weekly? I mean, we give away bags. Like, I've got four bags of clothes at my house that I'm giving away because I've got too many. We've got to know that when Scripture talks about the rich, he's not talking, he's talking to us. I believe he's talking to us in this country where we've got to take heed whenever it talks about rich, whenever it talks about those who have a lot. Like, we've got to know that is us. But Paul says, for the love of money is a root of all. He doesn't say money's evil. But he says that here's the thing, you're going to worship your wealth or you're going to worship with your wealth. You're going to worship your wealth or you're going to worship with it. He says, for the love of money is root of all kinds of evil. Some people are eager for money. And y'all have seen this. When people get money hungry, standards go down. Character can, can go down. It can go down. Why? Because they're so hungry for something that they think will fill the gap in, fill the gap in their soul. It says they pierce themselves with many, many griefs. But then he continues on in verse number 17. He says this, command those who are rich. So that's, that's, that's me. In this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is true to life. I just want to give you a few thoughts real quick that I believe Paul brings out here about contentment. First off, contentment will lead to generosity. If we are never content, we will never be generous. If you always think you have lack, you will never be generous with what God gives you. It's just true. If you're always feeling like, I just need that one more zero. I need that one more car. I need that one more this, that, or the other thing. It's almost impossible then to be generous with what God gives you. I believe this, y'all, that, that, that we are, that what Scripture teaches, we are stewards. We are not owners. And there's a big difference. A steward manages what has been entrusted to them for the benefit of the one who entrusted it to them. And owner says, this is mine. I can do what I want with it. But as Christ followers, y'all, we go from being owners to being stewards, where we realize everything that's been given to us, every breath, every piece of energy we have, every dollar we have, every house we own, every car we own, it is not ours anymore. It has been entrusted to us. So now we have to say, God, how am I going to take this stuff and, and use it and manage it to, to forward you instead of it just being my stuff and doing what I want to do with it. Stewardship and ownership are two different things. But contentment will always lead to generosity. In your life, have you even defined what contentment is? Like, what game are you playing? 
What ladder are you trying to climb on what wall? What status are you trying to attain? What financial status would actually make you happy? And if you've gotten it, did it? Did your problems go? This is stuff that we've got to say, like, what is contentment for you? Is it godly? Is it biblical? But I believe if we always have an attitude of lack, we don't have enough, we'll never be generous. We will never say, God, I'm going to worship with my wealth instead of worshiping my wealth. Secondly, what you see here, contentment is protection. You know, he says that many have wandered off and pierced themselves with many griefs. People hungry for money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I believe intentionally being, striving for contentment is a protection for your soul. Because it will keep your heart in the right place. It will keep your mind in the right place. It'll keep your priorities in the right place. Where, here's the thing, some of y'all, you've got job offers that you know are good in your field, but terrible for your life. You know the job will get you better status, it'll get you more money, and, and all of that stuff, but you know it is going to impact your parenting. You know it is going to impact the relationship with your wife that is already struggling, and you're like, well, babe, I'm only going to be on the road four days per week. And you know if you got that job, it would be marital suicide. We've got to ask ourselves, what game are we playing? What does, what does success mean? Have you even defined it? Are, are you living for success out of what God says success is or what our culture defines it as? And that's what I believe breeds contentment in us is when, when we finally start living, a, playing according to the right rules and the right game. Where we see our, the goal in this life isn't just to accumulate a lot of stuff and just retire and move to Florida and, and play golf. Contentment is protection for your soul, but you've got to define what a win is. You've got to define what success is. Lastly, and this follows up with that. Contentment shows the world shows the world what you're living for. Really believe contentment, you know, what it said there is, is that it said command those to do good so they may lay up treasures in heaven instead of treasures here. I think contentment will be shown by what you do with your stuff and what world are you living for. Because if you believe this is all there is, yeah, you'll live it up. Get that bank account up. Get that, I mean, strive to get your stuff. But if you believe that there's more than this, that we have a purpose and a plan to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, then this isn't it. There's more beyond this. There's a greater eternal purpose than just what we can see, feel, sense, or touch. And I believe that when we have a contentment mindset, it helps to show people what we're living for and what world we're actually living for. So look, what... What does this whole contentment thing mean for us? Like I said, it's individual but also corporate, right? At this church, we have core, we have core values. And a core value is simply, it establishes how as a church we will make decisions and determine what is important, right? And so one of our core values at this church is we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed 
to be a blessing. God gives to so he can give through. God gives to you so God can give through you. So many of us pray prayers that we're called to answer. Man, there's so much poverty in this city. Okay? What are you doing with your extra? You know, I just, man, that family's really struggling. What are you doing with your extra? God blesses you so he can be a blessing through you. And at this church, our, one, of, one of the main things that we're going to build our decisions on, that we're going to make decisions as a church, not just corporately, but individually, is we are blessed to be a blessing. Everyone say that we are blessed to be a blessing. Now take it and make it personal. I am blessed to be a blessing. But what I think we do is many times we say, when I get there, then I'll start being a blessing. Once I hit a certain financial status, once I hit a certain number in the, in the savings account, once I get there, and really I, I think that's giving into the culture's lie of if you just get more, then you'll be happy. We say, well, I'll be generous once I get, you, you know, what you see in Scripture, Luke chapter 8, you, you've got this widow who's got one mite, and Jesus is watching the offering go in, and this woman gives one penny. These baller dudes are putting in like hundreds, and this one girl is just putting in one mite, and Jesus looks over at his disciples, and he says, hey, she put in more than all of them. Why? Because she gave out of sacrifice. It wasn't the amount. It was the sacrifice. Start being generous where you are. That's five bucks. Buy someone a Starbucks. That's 10 bucks. Find out a way to bless somebody, but don't say until I get there, then I will start blessing people. Here's the truth, right? I believe you want to be generous. I know some, some pastors think, oh, man, you know, no, you know, no one wants to give. Everyone's cynical. Da, da, da. Let me tell you this. I believe you want to give. I sincerely do. And I'm not just talking about church, but I'm talking about in, in your life. I'm talking about you want to be a generous person. But I believe two things do that. Number one, a lack of right budgeting. Some of y'all aren't structured to be generous. You literally just like hope you have enough money in the bank account every month. You don't have any budget. You literally fly by the seat of your pants. And you are like, you are playing budget Russian roulette. <laughs> you know what that is? You get the debit card out. You're at the store. And you're looking at the processor. And you're like, I ain't, I ain't going on my phone and looking at that, looking at the app. <laughs> Y'all meeting Chipotle tonight? <laughs> yeah, I did it right. It's like, 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 like your your thing is is you want to be generous, but you're not structurally set up to be generous. And for you, the path to generosity and contentment is going to be you having the discipline to sit down and write out a budget and stick to it. And, you know, and, and, and that's what gets me so angry about this whole, just give $1,000 and God will pay off your credit card. Like that makes me want to throw the microphone. It's, because, it's, because it's basically saying, hey, God, make up for all my stupid choices. When it's like, no, God wants to work hand in hand with you to help see your patterns change, to help see your choices change, right? He wants to help you. So budget, but secondly, 
there is a sincere lack, lack of trust. You know, you have cynicism. Like, what's, what, is, what is that money going to do? What's that money going towards? What, what is this? And, and, and really, it's more of a heart thing where, where you're like, nah, I just, I don't trust. And here's the thing. I get it. I get it. But look, I believe this. If, if we're going to be content, what we teach at this church, and here's the thing, guys. This isn't just about giving to our church. This is about you, develop a, de, about you developing a pattern and, and, and a flow in your life to develop contentment in a cultural tsunami of greed. Okay? So you need to be intentional and, and say this, and this is what we teach at this church. We say we, want, we are striving for you to become proactive, priority, percentage-based, generous givers. Like I said, this is not just to our church. This is you as a human being being intentional in saying we are going to budget into our life generosity. That could be buying someone groceries. I know some of y'all, okay, someone wants to clap. Thank you for, for that. I appreciate that clap. Where you, I know y'all, like y'all have seen, I mean, come on, like there's opportunities every day where you see someone could use a blessing. And I know y'all have the heart to do that. I know it. But y'all have the heart, but not the bank account. Like some of y'all would love if you see a single mom up there and she's got kids and you just go up and swipe your card. 200 bucks. Bless you. Have a, have a great day. Like some of y'all would love to do that. But what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to do the hard work now of saying, okay, I need to set up a plan. And, and the thing is this, right? Proactive, priority, percentage-based giving. Where pro, where Proactive means you budget it. Proactive means you're not just going to, if I've got money left over at the end of the month, it's going to say, look, we are going to upfront pray and believe God that we're going to give this much of our monthly income towards being generous. That could be to the church. That could be towards blessing families. Whatever God lays on your heart. But at the same time, this, it's got to be something where you're proactively doing it instead of reactively saying if we've got money left over. Because then it's just like, well, well, you know what? God, we got, we've got vacation coming up. <clears throat> Sorry, generosity, right? Where it's proactive. You see, you've prayed about it, and you've got a peace, and you say, we're going to do this monthly. But also proactive priority. In other words, meaning this, you see, you see the necessity of it. You see that the church is God's hands and God's feet in being his, his body in this world. You see the benefit of it. You see the purpose in it. You see how being generous is a scriptural value of saying God is not calling me just, just to be here on this planet and just provide for me, myself, and I. God's put me on this planet to be a blessing. So priority means you see the benefit of it. You see the purpose of it. And then also two percentage. This is where it comes in practically, where you say we're going to be proactive, priority, percentage-based of saying, you know what, we are going to intentionally work generosity into our budget in a culture that tells you you need more, more, more. You're going to fight the tsunami by saying, we're going to surf on that wave, and we're going to be generous. Percentage or priority, there's so many Ps, I don't even know what I'm saying. Proactive, priority, percentage-based giving, I believe, are the pathways to you fighting against the cultural tsunami and developing an attitude and heart of contentment, which will then propel you to be a generous person 
in this world and therefore be the heart and hands of Jesus to this planet. And what I believe it, it will do is it'll build trust back into the people of God and the church of God and the church will go back and be what it was originally called to be and that was a blessing to this world, not a curse to this world. It, like, it breaks my heart. It, it breaks my heart to see how people view the church, especially with money. I worked, I worked a few years back in the construction world. Yeah. I'm like the most least constructive person. It was bad, right? But hearing what these dudes were saying about the church, and since they knew that I was a pastor, it was like, dude, man, how much money did you, did, you, know, did you steal last Sunday from that plate, from the offering plate? You know, you know, and just kind of throwing subtle remarks out there of just kind of like expecting because they've been shaped by what culture says about what pastors do with the money. I would love us to come together as the church, individually and corporately, and be people that say contentment will be stronger than greed. We will not tell people they're cursed because they don't have a whole lot. We won't tell people, just put $100 in an offering plate. God's going to bring it back to you, smack down, shaking together, pressed together, overflowing. God's going to bless you 100-fold, 200-fold, 300-fold, 400-fold. And just telling people that God's like a stock market. Here's the bottom line. I believe we actually reap what we sow. But I, I know people, they've tithed their whole life. They've given their whole life, and they're still living modest lives. Because we don't give to get anything from God. If your giving is just based on what you can can get from God, you are trying to what? Manipulate God. And God's not going to be manipulated. We don't give because of guilt. Some people give because they're like, I don't want God to kill me. We don't, like, that's what I was, I was I'm, you know, I was, you know in, in church, I would hear, tithe and you'll be blessed. And if you don't tithe, you're cursed. I'm like, yo, I know a lot of people that ain't giving a daggone dime. And they Okay right? But here's the thing. It was, the, it, 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 it was wrong teaching. We don't give to get anything from God. We don't give because of guilt, so God will like us better. Do you know why we give? Because of the gospel. The gospel at its core is for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. So at the very core of God's nature, he's, he is a giver, and as God takes more space and room in our lives, we should become saying, look, I'm content because I have Jesus. I'm content because he's filled the real deep need in my soul, and that is of a Savior. And because I've got that need met, my physical life can be content because I'm not finding riches and glory and pleasure in what I've got. I'm finding it in who I've got. Contentment is not a what, it's a who. Contentment's a who. And church, I want to tell you, tell you, today in this city if we're going to renew the perspective of what it means to be the church individually and corporately we need to say we are blessed to be a blessing and we will make decisions with this church that will sometimes hurt the church and bless the city right but we're not always going to say all right what's in the best interest of us that's why whenever god gives us a building whenever that is if y'all have one and want to give it to us we'll gladly take it from you be a great tax write-off for you but but whenever God gives us a place that we can call home, we're not going to break the bank and do building funds and say, okay, give building. No, because here's, here's the thing. I want more money going into ministry and the community than just going into a building, 
right? Like, it, it can't be like that. Because look, so, so look, there's gonna be times where, where you know what, as a church, we're gonna put more, like we're gonna put money into the community instead of into us. Why? Because we're blessed to be a blessing. Stand with, stand, stand with me. Well, yeah, I gotta close out. Bottom line is we give because of the gospel. I believe this, man, that every, every word, every sermon, every sermon requires a response where God brings forth his word and I truly believe that God's word spoken today and we need to respond accordingly and I believe today there's two responses that we need first off some some of you here are rich are rich in this world but poor in your spirit you've got a lot of stuff but your soul is dry and today you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus and find your contentment in somebody instead of something. You need to find your contentment in a who and not a what. Secondly, some of you here, if you could look at me, some of you here, you, right now, what God's given you because you're cynical, skeptical, I don't have, I don't have any money, but it's okay. Um, I'm saying, so we're just gonna use this as money, okay? Pretend this is like a twenty dollar bill, all right? This is an IOU from from God. But like, some of you, you live your life closed-handed. What God gives you, you close it. And you buy because you're because you're like it's. It's, it's mine. And what God wants to do today in your heart is God wants to pry those hands open and challenge you and help you to start living an open-handed life. Where, do you know what? Whenever you live open-handedly, God puts in, but you can give. And you bring your hand back, and do you know what God can do then? He can put more in. And then you can be a blessing you can be blessed to be a blessing instead of getting what God gives you and clenching your fist tight and being like it's mine it's mine so look two things first off God wants you to put some of you here to put your faith and trust in him secondly some of y'all he's challenging you to just go from close-handed living to open-handed living bow and pray father we just want to pause right now thank you for your goodness thank you for your goodness and grace God, I thank you for each person here. God, you know where they're at. You know what they need. You know what, what their soul needs today. And Father, right now, I pray that they would respond accordingly. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, John, I need to start to follow Christ, or possibly you've fallen off, and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus today, you know that there's a poverty in your soul, and you need the riches that Christ gives, which is new life in Christ, which is hope, which is joy, which is peace. You've tried to find it in other things, and, you, and you've, you're, you're, it's, it's like you're trying to find something that you'll never get, because those things that you're going for were never designed to fill your soul. You need the riches of Christ today. With every head bowed, every close, if you say, John, I just, I want to receive Christ today, and you know what all you got to do is just say yes. Right, right where you're at, if you would just say it, whether it's silently to yourself or you could say it publicly, whatever you want to do, just say yes. Just say yes to Jesus today. Just say yes.
say yes. I believe today if, if you said yes, you open the door to your heart and Christ has come in. So we're gonna, we're gonna pray with you really quick. I, and what I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask everyone here if we could join in with those that have said yes to Jesus today. And we're just gonna join in with you in, in, in you giving your life to, to Christ. If everyone could here, just, just repeat this after me and join in with those that are saying yes to Jesus today. Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my poverty. I give you my pride. I give you my guilt. I give you my shame. And I receive your riches, your riches of love, of mercy, of grace, and hope, and purpose. Thank you for paying the price for my sin and giving me hope eternal in Christ, for giving me contentment, true riches in this world. And I receive that today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lifehouse family, can we just give it up for all those that said that prayer today? If you said yes to Jesus today, listen, we want to celebrate with you, if you would. If you said yes to Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.